Chapter Fifty Six of I Say No. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Fifty Six. Alban sees his way. During the first days of Mirabel's sojourn at his hotel in London, events were in progress at Netherwoods, affecting the interests of the man who was the especial object of his distrust. Not long after Miss Ladd had returned to her school. She heard of an artist who was capable of filling the place to be vacated by Alban Morris. It was then the twenty-third day of the month. In four days more, the new master would be ready to enter on his duties, and Alban would be at liberty. On the twenty-fourth day, Alban received a telegram which startled him. The person sending the message was Mrs. Elmother, and the words were, "Meet me at your railway station at two o'clock." He found the old woman in the waiting room, and he met with a rough reception. Minutes are precious, Mister Morris," she said. "You were two minutes late. The next train to London stops here in half an hour, and I must go back by it. Good heavens! What brings you here? Is Emily? Emily is well enough in health, if that's what you mean. As to why I come here, the reason is that it's a deal easier for me. Worse luck. To take this journey than to write a letter, one good turn deserves another. I don't forget how kind you were to me away there in the school, and I can't and won't see what's going on at the cottage behind your back, without letting you know of it. Oh, you needn't be alarmed about her. I've made an excuse to get away for a few hours, but I haven't left her by herself. Miss Wivell has come to London again. And Mister Mirabel spends the best part of his day with her. Excuse me for a moment, will you? I'm so thirsty after the journey that I can hardly speak. She presented herself at the counter in the waiting room. I'll trouble you, young woman, for a glass of ale. She returned to Alban in a better humour. It's not bad stuff that. When I have said my say, I'll have a drop more just to wash the taste of Mirabel out of my mouth. Wait a bit. I have something to ask you. How much longer are you obliged to stop here teaching the girls to draw? I leave Netherwoods in three days more," Alban replied. "That's all right. You may be in time to bring Miss Emily to her senses yet. What do you mean? I mean, if you don't stop it, she'll marry the parson. I can't believe it, Mrs. Elmother. I won't believe it. Ah, it's a comfort to him, poor feller, to say that. Look here, Mister Morris. This is how it stands: you're in disgrace with Miss Emily, and he profits by it. I was fool enough to take a liking to Mister Mirabel when I first opened the door to him. I know better now. He got on the blind side of me, and now he has got on the blind side of her. Shall I tell you how? By doing what you would have done if you had had the chance, he's helping her, or pretending to help her—I don't know which—to find the man who murdered poor Mister Brown. After four years, and when all the police in England, with a reward to encourage them, did their best, and it came to nothing. Never mind that," Alban said impatiently. "I want to know how Mister Mirabel is helping her." That's more than I can tell you. You don't suppose they take me into their confidence? All I can do is to pick up a word here and there, when fine weather tempts them out into the garden. 
She tells him to suspect Mrs. Rook, and to make inquiries after Miss Jethro. And he has his plans, and he writes them down, which is dead against his doing anything useful, in my opinion. I don't hold with your scribblers. At the same time, I wouldn't count too positively in your place on his being likely to fail. That little Mirabel, if it wasn't for his beard, I should believe he was a woman, and a sickly woman, too. He fainted in our house the other day. That little Mirabel is in earnest. Rather than leave Miss Emily from Saturday to Monday, he has got a parson out of employment to do his Sunday work for him. And what's more, he has persuaded her, for some reasons of his own, to leave London next week. Is she going back to Monksmoor? Not she. Mr. Mirabel has got a sister, a widow lady. She's a cripple or something of the sort. Her name is Mrs. Delvin. She lives far away in the North Country, by the sea, and Miss Emily is going to stay with her. Are you sure of that? Sure. I've seen the letter. Do you mean the invitation? Yes, I do. Miss Emily herself showed it to me. I'm to go with her in attendance on my mistress, as the lady puts it. This I will say for Mrs. Delvin. Her handwriting is a credit to the school that taught her, and the poor bedridden creature words her invitation so nicely that I myself couldn't resist it, and I'm a hard one, as you know. You don't seem to heed me, Mr. Morris. I beg your pardon, I was thinking. Thinking of what, if I may be so bold? Of going back to London with you, instead of waiting till the new master comes to take my place. Don't do that, sir. You would do harm instead of good if you showed yourself at the cottage now. Besides, it would not be fair to Miss Ladd to leave her before the other master takes your girls off your hands. Trust me to look after your interests. And don't go near Miss Emily, don't even write to her, unless you have got something to say about the murder, which she will be eager to hear. Make some discovery in that direction, Mr. Morris. While the parson is only trying to do it, or pretending to do it, and I'll answer for the results. Look at the clock! In ten minutes more, the train will be here. My memory isn't as good as it was. But I do think I have told you all I had to tell. You are the best of good friends, Alban said warmly. Never mind about that, sir. If you want to do a kind thing in return, tell me if you know what has become of Miss de Saw. She has returned to Netherwoods. Ah! Miss Ladd is as good as her word. Would you mind writing to tell me of it if Miss de Saw leaves the school again? Good Lord! There she is, on the platform with bag and baggage. Don't let her see me, Mr. Morris. If she comes in here, I shall set the marks of my ten fingernails on that false face of hers. As sure as I am a Christian woman. Alban placed himself at the door so as to hide Mrs. Elmother. There indeed was Francine, accompanied by one of the teachers at the school. She took a seat on the bench outside the booking office. In a state of sullen indifference, absorbed in herself, noticing nothing. Urged by ungovernable curiosity, 
Mrs. Elmother stole on tiptoe to Alban's side to look at her. To a person acquainted with the circumstances, there could be no possible doubt of what had happened. Francine had failed to excuse herself and had been dismissed from Miss Ladd's house. I would have travelled to the world's end, Mrs. Elmother said, to see that. She returned to her place in the waiting room, perfectly satisfied. The teacher noticed Alban on leaving the booking office after taking the tickets. I shall be glad, she said, looking toward Francine, when I have resigned the charge of that young lady to the person who is to receive her in London. Is she to be sent back to her parents? Alban asked. We don't know yet. Miss Ladd will write to St. Domingo by the next mail. In the meantime, her father's agent in London, the same person who pays her allowance, takes care of her until he hears from the West Indies. Does she consent to this? She doesn't seem to care what becomes of her. Miss Ladd has given her every opportunity of explaining and excusing herself and has produced no impression. You can see the state she is in. Our good mistress, always hopeful, even in the worst cases, as you know, thinks she is feeling ashamed of herself and is too proud and self willed to own it. My own idea is that some secret disappointment is weighing on her mind. Perhaps I am wrong. No, Miss Ladd was wrong, and the teacher was right. The passion of revenge, being especially selfish in its nature, is of all passions the narrowest in its range of view. In gratifying her jealous hatred of Emily, Francine had correctly foreseen consequences as they might affect. The other object of her enmity, Alban Morris. But she had failed to perceive the imminent danger of another result, which, in a calmer frame of mind, might not have escaped discovery. In triumphing over Emily and Alban, she had been the direct means of inflicting on herself the bitterest of all disappointments. She had brought Emily and Mirabel together. The first forewarning of this catastrophe had reached her on hearing that Mirabel would not return to Monksmoor. Her worst fears had been thereafter confirmed by a letter from Cecilia, which had followed her to Netherwoods. From that moment, she who had made others wretched paid the penalty in suffering as keenly as any that she had inflicted. Completely prostrated, powerless through ignorance of his address in London, to make a last appeal to Mirabel, she was literally, as had been said, careless what became of her. When the train approached, she sprang to her feet, advanced to the edge of the platform, and suddenly drew back, shuddering. The teacher looked in terror at Alban. Had the desperate girl meditated throwing herself under the wheels of the engine? The thought had been in both their minds. But neither of them acknowledged it. Francine stepped quietly into the carriage when the train drew up, and laid her head back in a corner and closed her eyes. Mrs. Elmother took her place in another compartment and beckoned Alban to speak to her at the window. Where can I see you when you go to London? she asked. At Dr. Alday's house. On what day? 
on Tuesday next. End of chapter 56